Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears, sponsored by Online Trading Academy, the most trusted name in financial education and celebrating 25 years of service. I am Aaron Warby, and I am I am here today with, again, my wife, Tarina Warby. Hello out the there. third time in a row. Third time's a charm. We'll <laughs> see if you guys get any, any good, in, like, inspiration information from me <laughs> this week. I am always inspired by you. Oh, All right. thanks. Well, one <laughs> Yes, wanted to start off the day talking about a couple of things. We've seen, uh, we've seen oil. Now this is a little bit different than uh, than what we've seen in, you know, in the past uh, couple of weeks. But oil hit a um, crude oil at least hit a uh, demand zone. Hmm. We saw it bounce. It, it was a high time demand zone. I love when it hits high time demand zones. Why is that? Well, because because they've got such a high probability of, of actually working. And this did exactly <laughs> what it was supposed to do. Just Hit $67, <laughs> popped right off of it, right? And I love seeing them. So every time, you know, every time I see something heading towards that, those high time demand zones, I get kind of excited. And that's where, you, where you're seeing like, um, where you're seeing like people being very patient for the, for the, the, for the chart to go to that price line. And right. so they're just like, I'm just going to sit here because I don't feel like paying $77, $87 a barrel, $101. i am going to wait till it gets to this one. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, that's a good deal. And I'll get that. And, and it creates this resistance like, oh, we want to buy here. And so it's probably not people. It's probably institutions. Institutions, yeah. Institutions are like, I got time. I'm buying this oil. Yeah. So it'll be delivered to me at this certain point. You know, if it's in the futures, you know, they're yeah. just hanging out and they're like, well, well yeah, we'll so get in, there. In April from uh, what from from January to April, it was kind of range bound. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> what people would call range bound. But what it was doing, it was it was bouncing off of a, a demand zone into a supply zone. Mm -hmm. And these were higher time frames. And so you had to look at them uh, kind of a month at a time. But, yeah, it, you know, it was hitting uh, down there at. Um, at what 69 something like that mm -hmm. 69 no it was 72 i'm sorry it was bouncing from 72 <laughs> i was i was thinking to, i believe it was higher but yeah 72 up to 86 now um it, it's a little bit lower mm -hmm. and so the new the new low is at 67 now that was a little bit of a surprise to people because of course last month opec came out and said nope the price should be higher so we're going to we're going to uh, slow production and that should push the high you know, it should push the price higher because, of course, oil, like everything else, works on supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And so if the demand is the same and maybe even higher going into the summer, but the supply is a little bit constrained, then you see higher prices. And so here we are with crude and all of a sudden it takes a dive and mm -hmm. it's going back towards this high time frame demand zone. And uh, and, and what happened? Well, it hit, it hit the orders and people are like, that's oh, yeah. a good deal. I'll it be taking right that back off. That's exactly right. But what was going on, you know, um, from a world standpoint in, in a supply and demand, uh, if you're looking at it from supply and demand, Russia decided, even though they're part of OPEC plus, <laughs> they decided, eh, we're doing our own thing. And they just released a whole bunch of, you know, oh, mil yeah, mi millions and millions of barrels. And of course, that picked everything, or that kicked everything right back down. Cause but I thought nobody was buying oil from them. I guess somebody is. Mm, China, <laughs> there are countries that are Iraq. buying it. That's right. And if China, 
who is a big buyer doesn't buy it from everybody else, then we still have a, a yeah. glut in the system, right? Yeah. I mean, so be it. I mean, there's got to be, they got to make, anyways, yeah. I don't really like Russia, but thanks for bringing down the price of oil. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, that was temporary. Now Saudi Arabia is upset and they're talking to their Russian you know, compatriots well, there. So I just sit here and I go, oh my gosh, like, why is it that these guys can control this price? And I kind of like Russia for being like, we don't care. <laughs> We're going to do our own thing. Because to me, that's a very, that's a very um, capitalistic thing to say. It's like, you're going to make it at this price all the time and control this, the markets? I don't think so. I'm just going to release a bunch of oil and let it go. Well, now, if they weren't like attacking the Ukraine, I would cheer even more for that. But like, you know, I mean, there's some things that I really do appreciate appreciate about Russia and they're like, screw it, we don't care. Yeah, well, you know? so, you know, the biggest supplier in the world, which is the United States, is yeah. not part of OPEC+. Plus. Oh, they're not? No. Then why does it affect us but so much? Russia is part of OPEC+. Plus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, we are the biggest producers, but again, that- everything is worldwide supply because the producers in the United States could sell their oil offshore. If somebody else is willing to pay a higher price than we are, then of course it goes out there. And so the price anywhere in the world for oil affects the prices of what we pull out of the ground here as well. And same with Russia. I thought we were part of OPEC. Now, what Russia (laughs) did was they said, yeah, we're part of OPEC plus, and I know that we've agreed to kind of fix the prices, but we kind of need money right now because we're fighting a war. And so we're just going to, you know, sell off a whole bunch of, of new oil so that we can we can get the, uh, so that we, we've got the dollars coming in to pay for whatever, you know, we want, we need to do with it. Mm-hmm. War, society, whatever, right? Yeah. So it was a little bit of a surprise. People were expecting to go for it to go up, and I thought it would probably creep up over time mm-hmm. as we saw OPEC Plus pull back on supply. But because of the release, it went down. And what that highlights is, is that number one, Mm -hmm. you do need to manage your risk because things like that happen. Yeah. I mean, unexpected things are going to happen. Yeah. You never know when Russia is going to be like, we're not going to honor our agreement. That's right. So we're going to talk about risk and how to control it a little bit later. Okay. Okay. So I just want to say that I have been educated today because I have always thought that the U.S. was part of OPEC, and I just Googled it because sometimes my husband says things, and I'm like, that's not right, and I Google, I'm like, see, you're wrong, right? And I make sure it's from a valid source. Thank you very much, right? And I just Googled it. You guys probably heard me set down the um, your phone, my phone while yeah, I was Googling it. I'm like, oh, they're not a part of OPEC. <laughs> okay, so now because I... Because the U.S. does not fix prices. Because the U.S. don't doesn't fix prices. Right. And so I... Okay, well, that makes so much more sense because I was always like, why are we a part of this? This makes no sense at all. <laughs> and I was like, why is this affecting oil prices, right? I mean, I, I, I was like, we must be a part of OPEC, right? That's what I thought. But to this novice, I didn't realize we were not a part yeah. of it. It's just all about those who fix prices and what they... the 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 biggest, you know, yes. voice. And by the way, when I'm on, when I'm doing a show, I always check things out before I say them. <laughs> Just so that everybody's got that little warm and fuzzy there. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Boy, man, I just castrated you, right? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Well, that, that's taking it to an extreme. That's but, an extreme. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. There was just, this, I think I won like a couple of battles where I was like, I don't think that's true. And you're like, yeah, 
it's totally true. I'm like, mm, no. So sorry. I'm just, yep. and it's usually about verbiage. Yeah, yeah word definitions. Word definitions or modern verbiage. But on economics, baby, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if on this podcast, if you found something that he's not right about, you're more than welcome to leave a comment and say, hey, dude, I don't agree with that. Or, nope, you're right. So that's okay. All right. Anyway, yeah. So um, moving on, wanted to talk about uh, this thing because there's been a lot, and, and I think that we've mentioned this several times, but there's been a lot of angst in the professional world about an upcoming drop in the markets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it should have happened by the numbers. It should have happened uh, some time ago, you know, and everybody's just waiting, holding their breath saying, all right, what's going to take this market down? Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking at things, whether it's the high PE ratios, historically Mm -hmm. high PE ratios, um, or the, uh, or you're looking at the bond market, which has been flashing recession for some time. Oh yeah. Like people have been moving into the bond market, right? Well, yeah. So when the, when the short term, bonds mm-hmm. um are are paying out higher than the long-term bonds okay right that's when it screams recession yes and, and the idea there is is that when people are buying up the short-term bonds uh, you know having there's a lot of demand for those mm-hmm. those short-term bonds it's because they're moving their money into something that is paying them a higher percentage to, than well yeah that is not going to decrease in value hopefully that the t-bills the anyway mm-hmm. right um but they don't want it they're too long. too long. They want to be able to move back out to the stock market after the stock market bottoms out. And so they want it They want it in a safety place for just a little while. So do you feel like they're kind of getting confused because they're like, why isn't it going down? Oh, yeah. This market's been this... on helium, right? I mean, like, I just look at it and I'm like, hmm, I'm feeling very bullish today. Yeah, like, it, I mean, it's it's a daily thing. I look at the charts and I'm all, hmm, yeah. Still looking it's like it's still, okay. It's looking okay. I mean, yeah. like some of the things that I look at are range bound. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, but other things, it's just like still looking good, but, still yeah, holding but, its own. And it might just be those scalpers that are keeping it up there. Well, well I doubt they would. You but. know what? Yeah. So I'm going to go through a couple of things. But, oh, okay. The, but the thing is, is that the banking crisis didn't take this down either. And that it, was and really surprising have. to me because yeah. when, because I mean, I obviously we've all taken, well, hopefully we've all taken high school U.S. history and mm-hmm. the Great Depression is a huge part of that. And I was just watching. I was like, oh my gosh, this could just cause a run on the banks or this could cause people freaking out and there was a run on that bank but it did well, not there was a mini run on all banks which causes which causes, causes... liquidity problems which That's then right. causes credit crunch and we have seen those effects and it is affecting it is affecting our markets it's but the just... news isn't really like causing the panic i think yeah. as it happened during the great depression in 1929 yeah. well you know so the thing the is 30s. is that everybody's looking at the market saying that that's the tell yeah. yeah but it's not because when you're looking at the markets and how they work there's a couple of companies in the markets that if they do well then the, it looks like the entire market, the market is, is doing, doing well, well. All right. So there Apple. are a couple of companies that people have been moving into because they consider them very safe or yeah. they think that, oh, we're going to have a They you know, almost feel like they're blue chips, jump on this. you know, back in the day, you know, the blue chip. Yeah. Well, and yeah. the common person doesn't know what a blue chip is. Oh, okay. They don't know what a solid company is. And so they simply move into things that, that they've heard about a lot. Right. Yeah. And so Apple stock is up 35% on the year. Look, I am a loyal 
Apple <laughs> user. user. Like yeah. I, but like, not stock buyer. <laughs> yeah, I've been using. So I have an Apple phone personally, and then I've been using an Android phone or some kind of phone this yeah. week. Well, you, so, answering calls for your business when you know and yes, things like that. And I was like, out. I hate this phone so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. Like, and it's just because I'm an Apple user. Anyways, sure. I, not that anybody cares, but I'm just saying. I feel it. I love Apple. <laughs> yep. So, so there are five companies that some, account for 96% of the S&P 500's gain this year. Ooh. Yep. And those five are Apple stock. Okay. All right. We've got Microsoft that's up 39%. That makes Alphabet, sense. Alphabet, which is Google, up 41%. Okay, Alphabet. Amazon, 43%. Mm. And NVIDIA. That's something that's been in the news quite a bit lately for its AI. Mm. Up 167 or 176%. Excuse Ooh. my dyslexia there. Yeah. And so it's been those five stocks that have made everything look very good. But we have not had participation in anything but the mega stocks. Everything else looks terrible. Yeah. It, it looks like it, it probably should, right? Like, like it should be bringing down. But the problem yeah. is, is that we're in such a digital age that those are technically are blue chip stocks right now i mean like well i mean because that's what people use microsoft all over the world people use yeah. apple all over the world nvidia ai i mean right. that's a big new thing and yeah. so now for those of you that know the definition of blue chip they are not blue chip stocks at okay. least not all of them all right you're right um but because it's a producing thing right, right. but but you're right in the sentiment as in this is what people are running to during trouble that's times. what they're feeling this is yeah this is giving me comfort this is these are companies that are stable you know i mean if you think about it you think about the phone companies i remember people always saying at&t is the mm. blue chip stock and then when it went down they were like what, what happened, happened? Yes. like when i was a kid it was just like oh my gosh like people were and i was like oh i guess you can't trust that all the time. Yeah. Well, That's why we I watch the tendency, charts. <laughs> yeah, we have a tendency as human beings to have what's called a recency effect. Yeah. Where whatever has happened recently, we think that's going to continue throughout all time. Right. Which, of course, it never has. And so we're constantly being shocked. Um, we used to joke about this with the weather, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I've never felt it this hot before. And then you go back and you look at the average temperature for last summer and it was just as hot. Yeah. You know? But I will <laughs> say that I feel that the Phoenix area has been a little cool this May. It has. And my power bill has reflected that. <laughs> and I'm truly grateful. <laughs> yeah. So. At any rate, so I wanted to read this uh, quote, yeah. all right, from Yardini, who is a fund manager. Okay. He said, the most despicable is that the bull has the chutzpah to charge ahead when almost everyone agrees a recession is coming any day now. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I love the word chutzpah, and so I had to put it in anyway. Yeah, it's you a know, great it's word. Just it a just, beautiful, yeah, I think Yiddish word there. Um, at any rate, uh, but that is how the professionals are feeling. What in the world is, is keeping this market up? This is just, it, this is a helium market. There's nothing below it. Nothing that is actually, you know, none, none Apple, of the foundations. Microsoft. Yes. But none of the <laughs> foundations are looking like we really should be up this high. Right. Right. So everybody's been holding their breath. And, and this is frustrating a lot of people. And for those of you that are trading out there and thinking, I'm just not getting it right. Mm -hmm. Just not acting. Don't. Correct. 
Yeah, don't get discouraged. Don't feel bad because yeah. I've watched. It's interesting because like I've been watching the Futures XLTs, which is our extended learning track where we're watching someone who's been trading, who's trading for, for a long, long time. time. They're instructors yeah. and they're saying, okay, Very I see this demand do. zones and stuff. And there's been a couple of times where they're like, I'm not doing anything with the S&P today. And they just shove it to yep. the side or they'll say. We're sitting on our hands and today. Today right. and the other day. And then today one of them was like, I'm not touching the Russell right now. I'm just leaving that right there. Like he, and they were they were really like I'm not seeing the things that I want to see that makes me feel comfortable trading in this market. Yes, and stuff. And so there's some days, and then like the two days later, this guy was like, "All right, time to to yeah, trade the S and P." There we go. You know, and and even on the day where he said, "I'm not trading the S and P," he went back and he looked at it and he said, "Okay, now I'm seeing some zones where I can demand and supply zones where I can actually start trading and stuff." Yeah. But he, but he was patient, and I was really impressed by that. Well, and, and and that's you know the thing is is that the professional understands that taking taking trades where you have a low expectation of it actually working out or that it's less predictable. It's so risky. Yeah, why would you do it? You know, there's a better chance that you're going to lose than you're going to win. Why Why in the world get involved? Yeah, I it's, mean, sometimes it's better just to sit on your hands. Yeah, better to wait for the good trades, for the, you know, yeah. for the, for the highly predictable things that are going to pay off big than to throw your money away at a lot of little itty-bitty things that might pay off a little itty-bitty but probably are going to lose you. Yeah, I remember when the uh, when the market went down in uh, 2020, mm-hmm. and and then we watched, you know, even more it, it going down. One of our instructors was like, "You know what I do when it happens like this?" And he was quoting another instructor of ours. He goes, "I just take my hands off the keyboard and I push my roller chair away from the computer." And I just sit on my hands. I just, I just wait, and I just wait until I start seeing things that I like. And yeah. I, and I thought that was really good, good advice. Yeah, and you know what? It's the only way to be professional these days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the the market has changed dramatically since I started, which was a long time. Be- it was a long time ago. But there was a marked difference. It was a marked difference between what the markets used to be and how they used to work. And this is, you know, prior to 1996, the markets worked in a, in a far different way than they work now. Okay. And, um, and, and so we have to recognize that and treat it differently. All right. Yeah. Now, when I say this, I'm, I'm telling, I'm saying that I was trained how to trade, you know, back before 1996. And we were all trained in a very certain way. And we were trained based on the numbers, based on the fundamentals. And so in my very core nature, I'm a fundamental kind of guy. But the fundamentals stopped working in 1996. It started right, so, to stop working in 1996. Yes, yes. And, and I, I really didn't know what was going on, and I was actually really bad at trying to, at trying to uh, guess where the market, the lows and highs were until, until about 2005 when mm-hmm. I started to catch on as to what was going on, mm-hmm. all right? And then it started making sense again. But I want to dedicate the rest of this show to, to the word risk because right now what we need to do is decide what risk is and how to how to modify the risk to make it acceptable for us to actually be into something. I think I, I think I interrupted one of your thoughts before we move on to that modify risk and acceptable is why are the markets doing what they're doing? Like you have all these people who are like the markets should be down. Why are they not going down? You have all these experts. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and you know, what, what is the answer? Why are they still up? Well, I, I think that they're still up 
simply because the people that are trading is still involved in the markets, because you're absolutely right. There's a lot of, of the experts that are simply sitting on their hands. But we will talk about why um, the markets are still floating in a minute. And it has everything oh. to do with how the markets are currently working. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so, so let's talk about risk. You know, good traders and investors look at risk differently than most people. If you were to ask everybody, what, what is the risk of being in the markets? What they would say is something like, well, losing money, mm -hmm. which is the outcome of risk. It's not really what the risk is. And so when you ask what the risk is, people are most of the time absolutely you know, perplexed. Oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. the, the, risk, the, the risk is I don't know, you know where, where the market lows or highs are. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. But let's get a little deeper than that, okay? Mm -hmm. Warren Buffett. He has two quotes, and I think he's right on with both of them. Mm -hmm. Number one quote, uh, risk is what you don't know. Mm -hmm. As in, if you don't know what you're doing, you're taking 100% of the risk. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, the other one is risk is what you don't control. Now, I want to I take a look at both of these mm -hmm. one by one. So first, we're going to approach risk is what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to lead into this simply by uh, quoting this uh, smart asset article. All right. So I read that smart asset and I was like, smart what article? And then I was like, you oh. You can't say that on the air. Well, no, you, you can these days. But I was like, I need my reading glasses, I think. Because yeah. <laughs> I was no, like, oh, well, yeah, I, 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 I think that they actually did that on purpose because it, it does get some attention, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I like it. Smart asset article here. It's an Ask the Advisor. Mm -hmm. And uh, the title of the article is, Am I Getting Fleeced? And I okay. love this guy and what he's asking because this is, I was like, dude, I want to know too. Like, this is important. And he's like, I'm, 60, I'm 66 years old. I'm contributing $272 a month um, to an IRA and paying $136 in monthly fees. That's 50% of my contributions. Am I getting fleeced? My, you know, and, and so he's like, what is going on? Yep. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the article goes on to explain that the fund managers get typically get paid based on a percentage of the money under management. Mm -hmm. All right. The total money on management. Right. And so, you know, the question is well reasoned here. Mm -hmm. Am I getting fleeced? Because here what he's saying is, hey, I'm paying all of I, I'm putting in money every month, but I'm paying all of these fees and and it's a better part of what I'm putting my, my mm -hmm. contributions yeah. All right. So all total, he's paying some sixteen hundred and thirty-two dollars per year in in fees. And what the article goes on to explain is because it's based on a percentage, as his fund grows over time, it's actually so does that the fee is going to get higher, mm -hmm. right? And so um, you know, it's typically somewhere around one point one point oh two percent, something mm -hmm. like that, is the average. Which some are higher, some are lower. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, which seems relatively it seems minor. Innocuous. It yeah. seems innocuous, but if you're putting, you know, every month you're paying that fee. Right. You're just paying it with your, when you put your donation in, which is, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's totally fine. Exactly. So if this guy's IRA is $160,000, then mm -hmm. yes, 1.02% of that is is $136 a month. And if it keeps growing, then eventually... He's going to be paying all. He's going to, all of his contribution are going to be swallowed up in fees. Yeah, right. Okay. So the question is, how much are you willing to pay someone to work with your money? 
All right. And the article explains, hey, if you're going to hire somebody to do, you know, to do your trading for you, to do mm-hmm. your your investing for you, then you have to pay them. You do. That's just the, that's the way it works. Yeah. You know, they they're so they're giving the real their time. Question is, that's their job. Yeah. The yeah. real question is, is are you getting value out of it? All right. Yeah. Now we're going to approach that objectively. If we were to assume that the IRA is paying an average of 6% a year, right? Returning 6% a year. Uh, and that's chosen not because of what funds are average paying right now, mm-hmm. but just because what they what they tell people they should expect over time. Yeah. Right? No, that's not what it actually is, but that's what they want you to count on. Um, in fact, if you look it up, the average fund over the last 20 years has actually only done 4.67%. N- nowhere close to 6%. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That sucks. Um, anyway, uh, so over the next 10 years, if it was doing 6% a year, then with constant growth and the $272 contribution each month, the fund would grow from a current $160,000 to $283,784, at which time the monthly fees would be $241, eating up <laughs> almost all of the $272 contribution every month. You're, so you have $31 that you're con- contributing That's to right. your IRA. Yes, yeah, for trading. It gets just a little bit larger, and you know, by the time he passes the three hundred and twenty thousand mark, I guess, then all of the, you know, everything that he's putting in is is swallowed up. Yeah, and it's starting to eat into principal. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. So not having, but if you're if you're looking at saying, all right, are they worth it? Then you have to consider this. All right. Uh, there's, if you look online, just type this in, do yourself a favor and type this in. What percentage of fund managers beat the market over time? And you'll see that in most reports, it will say that 95% of all fund managers underperform the market. And over a longer period of time, mm-hmm. 98% are trounced by the market, the market mm-hmm. itself, meaning that if someone just knew that they could set up a fund to to every time they put money in, it simply buys the S&P 500 and they were self-managing, mm-hmm. not paying the fees. Mm-hmm. Then over the last 20 years, the same time the fund managers on average were doing 4.67%, the S&P 500, which is exactly the same thing, at least in structure as a mutual fund. Mm-hmm. So you have the same protections and all of the rest of it. You have a grouping of businesses. Except mm-hmm. it is 505 of the best performing stocks in the financial industry and it did 8.19 percent on average wow trouncing of course all of you know those fund managers that were only doing 4.67 so are you getting fleeced if you are paying somebody to underperform the market i would say no okay because you don't want to do it yes because you have decided that you don't want to learn to do it yourself. And so yeah. somebody has to manage it for you and hey, you've got to pay them. Yeah. And that's just the way things go. Mm-hmm. All right. If you want to take the time to learn how to do it, then Warren Buffett is right. Okay. Risk is what you don't know. And obviously in this case, the risk is at a hundred percent, almost well, 98%. If you are not going to, if you don't know what you're doing, then you've got a 98% chance over time of underperforming the market by letting somebody else do it for you. And that's up to you. That's your choice. Okay. 
Um, so then let's move on to the next one. Warren Buffett also said that risk is what you don't control. And that's really important to know. So if you're like, I'm going to take it into my own hands, you got to know how to control. That's exactly right. Your risk. All right. So risk is what you don't control. Did you know that since 1996, the market has become much less predictable? Yes. And the reason is, is because before 1996, if you wanted to be participating in the market, Mm -hmm. you either had to be professionally trained or you had to go through someone that was professionally (laughs) Professionally trained. trained. And so everybody that was actually doing the buying and selling Mm -hmm. was trained. All right. So before 1996, you want to buy, I don't know, Apple. You have to call some jerk called a, a broker, right? <laughs> I don't think that's very polite. <laughs> right. But I could have been one of those. You, yeah. yeah. So you have to call somebody and say, hey, I want to buy Apple. And they would do something very smart, like open up the Wall Street Journal and they would look at Apple, the company, mm-hmm. and say, what is this company? It's, it's like pennies right now, mm-hmm. which would have been a beautiful time to buy it, by the way. And they would have said, don't buy it. It's not doing very well. well probably. Blah, blah, blah. Right? I mean, this would be a speculative, like, <laughs> I'm speculating at this time. Yes, but they would <laughs> pull out their little slide ruler, right? Uh-huh. And they would go through the numbers and they would say, all right, this is how much the company is making per share and this is how much it's expected over the next couple of years and so here's the calculation and we are we are not going to offer any more than this particular price for this stock mm-hmm. and you would say okay just here's here's a couple thousand dollars please buy what you can with it mm-hmm. all right and they would go and make an offer of exactly what they thought the company was worth per share mm-hmm. and the guy on the other side also did the exact same calculation, the one that's selling it and saying, I'm not selling it for anything less, less than it's than worth. worth. And therefore, by the calculation, it's worth this. And so the, the offer mm-hmm. was almost the same as the bid. Really All low. right. There were very, very few. And so the fluctuation in price was very minute compared to in, you know, compared to today's And so buy and holding would make sense. Like, oh, if, oh you sure. know, as long as it was consistently going up, it was... It would make sense. It'd be like, well, eventually it's going right. to get up. Because on any so. given day, the stock isn't moving enough. You know, it's it's moving pennies. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to hold it for a while for it to move. You move pretty Dallas. good. And, and stock picking back then made a lot more sense than it does now. All right. But then 1996 comes around and all of a sudden the internet is invented. And now you don't have to go through some some broker. Yeah. All right. You don't have to call them which means that they're not going to look in the Wall Street Journal and do the calculation for you. And if you happen, like 99% of everybody that's going on the internet <laughs> trading for themselves, you happen to not know how to calculate what that the stock PE is ratio. valued at, mm-hmm. or even what a PE ratio is, for heaven's mm-hmm. sakes, then you might just say, well, I'm buying this. What price should I do? I don't know. I like it. And so at the price it's at, I want to buy it. I don't care whether it's overpriced or not, because I don't know the difference. I think it's going to go higher. Okay. And then a little bit later, somebody else comes and looks at it. You know, I really like that stock. It's catching on. I think everybody's going to do it. And so I'm going to go ahead and buy it. And they're willing to buy it from you at higher than what you paid for it. Mm-hmm. All right. But there is no there is no, no calculation of intrinsic value or even perceived value at that point. It is all simply what do I feel in the moment? And so, and what every, do I feel is a good company or a company right. that's doing, you know, what I want it to do, you know? Yes. Breaking new boundaries and things and like so that. And so if at this point I think that the company is going to actually do better in the future, then I'm willing to pay more for the company than 
or pay at least what what the company is selling the stock mm-hmm. is selling for right now. Yeah. Right. I'm willing to at least pay that, and if it starts going up, I'm really happy with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might just encourage me to buy more. Yeah. On the other hand, if some bad news comes out about the company or something, oh no, I've got to get rid of it now. Right? <laughs> this is going down, and I, I I'm a smart person. I don't want to take a loss, so I'm going to get rid of it on the first sign of bad news. And so we sell yeah. and, it, and it accentuates the moves. All right. Greed moves it up really high. Fear moves it down. Mm-hmm. Now, because this is all emotional, right? Yes. This becomes a very chaotic environment. It becomes very volatile. Yes. Emotion is chaos. It's white noise. You, you can't tell where anything's coming. And so for some time, the professionals were a little bit perplexed, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that they'd been taught wasn't working. Yeah. And now what? Yeah. Right now, now how do we find the lows and how do we find the highs? How do we find when we should buy and how do we find when we should sell? Yeah. And it took a little while, but all of a sudden the market makers started deciding, you know what? We can simply set the price at what we want. <laughs> These are emotional people anyway. All we have to do is use the emotion. And it turns out that if you've got enough money, mm-hmm. you can simply start buying stuff and force it up. Mm-hmm. because here is the law of supply and demand. If the price is at $50, then what that means for any given stock, mm-hmm. if the price is at $50, then what that means is you have an equal number of people buying at 50 as selling at 50. Mm-hmm. But if you come in with a whole bunch of money and start buying up everything available at 50, then there's nothing available at 50 anymore. And the first thing that's available above that is at 51. And so it has forced the price up oh. because you still have other people wanting to buy. Yeah, and other people who are like, I'm really happy selling my shares at 51. Right. So now you've got new sellers out there to satisfy the buyers. All right. And if a company has enough money, they can buy it up at 50, 51, 52, and just force that price up. Mm -hmm. And if they force it up fast enough, then it creates emotion. It creates greed. People are looking at that saying, ooh, this one is exploding. I better get in. All right. While it's still as low as it is because it's going to the moon. Yes. And then greed, actually, they start buying it, and that just forces it up faster. It does. All right. Now, eventually, and then it's you going have to the people on like YouTube or sending out memes that are like, "Buy it," and everyone's buying yeah. it up. Oh, Game this stonk. is really good. Da da da. And then, then they're you know, and then it goes up, and then it flatlines, and it goes down. Well, I, well, you never really see a flatline, but like. <laughs> All of a sudden, it starts dropping, right? It starts dropping. Yeah, so so these companies that just bought it up low and forced it up and got people emotional about this, got people greedy about Mm -hmm. it, and all of a sudden, they're buying it up and forcing it higher and higher and Mm -hmm. higher. Eventually, they decide, you know what? This is probably as many buyers as we're going to have at this point. We better sell off what we can and and take our profits. Well, and they can see that. They can see all the people who are buying and selling at the same time. Yeah, they I mean, can they see have, the volume. They can see it, yeah. Yeah, and so they decide this is a great place to sell, and they just toss, you know, just throw as, mi- as much as the market will handle at that price. But, of course, that means that the market is forced down mm-hmm. because the same thing that forces it up also forces it down. Only yeah. now, instead of having a lot more buyers or buying action at that price, you've got a lot more selling action at that price, which forces the price down, gets people scared, again, emotional. Mm-hmm. And emotional people do irrational things. And so they start selling everything that they just bought at a lower price than they bought it for. Yeah. But they're selling it now right into where the larger company wanted to buy it. And so these large companies 
figured out, hey, all we have to do is, is manipulate emotion through these buying and selling actions or by putting pieces, you know, if you go to the news and you say, oh, uh, Goldman Sachs thinks these three companies have a 40% upside. Yeah. Well, why in the world would they tell you that? Go look at their books because they are holding <laughs> they stocks that they want to sell it yeah. to you. And now they're trying to give you the idea that if you buy it, it's going to go up higher, which of course will which force it, will it up higher. Because you're buying And then they're going to sell it to you. Mm-hmm. All right. And then they're going to get it to a price where they're really happy and then they're going to push they're it gonna down. They're going to dump it. They're going to exactly dump it right. and then it's going to flood the market with lots of sell orders and then that pushes the price down and that's well, exactly right you know or people are buying it and, da, and then it pushes the price down because nobody has any more money and so they're like yeah. i can't buy these and so then it pushes the price down and then it gets back down into where they are like let's buy it back and then we'll put it bring it up even more and stuff like that and so part of me is like it's never going down because <laughs> they hear they're like hey let's see how much money we can get da, 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 keep it going but, up and r- right. going so, down and yeah. so it's just bleh. Yeah, so so the thing crazy. is, is right now, right, it, it, the market is on helium. It's just being kept up and everybody's saying, why is it being kept up? And the answer is, is, hey, guys, as long as the common person is willing to keep buying higher, then <laughs> the market makers don't care. And I, I don't even know if it's a common higher. person because it could also be like somebody else at well, some other like stupid brokerage house is like, yeah, it looks like right. a good deal. I'm going to be in it. <laughs> I'll okay, but it. we know because that because it's range bound, mm-hmm. we know that it's market makers that are still in it. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. If it's hitting this level down here and then hitting that level, and it's very consistent at both of those levels, well, it's market makers, yeah. Then you've got market makers, okay. and they're willing to keep this up as long as everybody else is willing to keep donating their money. Yeah. All right. You want to sell it to them low, they'll buy it low. You want to sell it to them high, high they'll, they'll buy, buy it high. high. You know that's that's. Or I'm sorry. No, no, no. You, you want, want to if, sell it to if them If you low, want to buy you it high. You want to buy high. it from them high, yeah. and they'll sell it to you high. Yeah. That's what I meant. It's okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's, I knew that's what, what makes saying, the range bound But nobody happens. else did. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so we started this saying, you know, what is risk? And, and Warren Buffett is saying risk is what you don't control. And the market makers have found that level of control. Now, the thing is, is that you can't control the market with your little bit of money. You just don't have enough to actually move that price. Well, most people can't. Yes, appreciably enough to get people to get people in the mood to buy or to sell it off at a high, you know, sell enough of it off to get people in the mood to sell. So but you the market makers can be able to see the chart and be like, oh, there's the market maker. Yeah. I see him. But see, the thing is, is that your control has to come in in your decision as to where to buy and where mm-hmm. to sell. And where to put your stop loss so you don't lose it all. That's exactly right. And we'll talk about that in a minute. All right. So we sometimes equate risk with predictability. And that's absolutely true. All right. If you are playing in, in what we would call the white noise and the emotion of the market, then you have a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. But if you can see what these market makers are doing, then things become a lot more predictable. And so when I, at the very first of the show, we were talking about crude and how, and how I love seeing those uh, high time demand zones because mm-hmm. they become very predictable. Yeah. And I love seeing them. I love predictability. Mm-hmm. All right. But I would never go into any one of them, especially in this market, without a stop. Yep. Because they might not work. Because <laughs> it might, might keep going lower. And, and you also want to put an do, alarm. If your stop gets exactly missed, right. you better put an alarm because the market's kind of crazy. Like... <laughs> 
hey, it gapped down over your stop. That's exactly stop, right. Stop. Yeah, you, you want to know exactly what's going on. But, mm-hmm. but put your stops in there because the stop is going to keep you from losing. I sometimes talk to people and they have a crazy idea. And the idea is I never lose until I sell. And that's absolutely false, okay? If you can convert your stock or your equities, whatever you're in, directly to cash at the mm-hmm. snap of a finger or a push of a button, then for all intents and purposes, it's cash. It's cash equivalent. And any time it's lower than what you bought it for, you have taken a loss. And the decision to stay in that loss until it recovers means that you're taking a second loss because you could have the opportunity to use that money on something that's going up, but only if you get out of the loss. And we learned that lesson in a really painful way. We did once. In the mid-2000s, <laughs> and we were early 2000s, and we were like, oh my gosh, like we should get out. No, no, it'll come back. It'll come back. It, it didn't. didn't come back. It bankrupt. <laughs> and we were like, oh. And so like, I am a big believer of stops and being like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with that loss. And there's days where, you know, I'm yeah. okay with, with it. I'm just and th- okay. This works, by the way, both in trading and investing. In yeah. fact, if you were to look, okay, um, if you put money in in 2000, uh, f- you know, and, and you just wrote it out, you went ahead and took the losses and then, and then uh, let it go back up and down and up and down. And you finally got to 2020. Um, then, you know, you're, you are up money. But if you hadn't taken the losses, if you were if you were able, if you had laddered your stops and you were able to get out at the top and, and in at the bottom, now close to the top, yeah, yeah. Now, now if you were out at the very top and in at the very bottom, you're up four hundred percent over the person that you know with the exact same money over the person that absolutely just held that on just to stayed it. in, yeah. And even if you didn't get all four hundred percent because you were out near the top and in near the bottom. Mm-hmm. You're still much better off than than holding it, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so holding a loser just doesn't turn out on paper, and it doesn't turn out in in practicality. So a good key to uh, to good investing is control. Warren mm-hmm. Buffett was absolutely right. Okay, yeah. risk is what you don't control. Stops help you control. Mm-hmm. It, it controls your downside. I'm not willing to lose this much, therefore I put a stop in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I've taken a very small loss instead of a big loss. Mm-hmm. Um, another great control measure is insurance. People yep. don't know that there's insurance in the markets, but if you're doing wealth in the markets, if you're holding a lot of wealth in the markets, you really should have it insured. Meaning you're holding a stock, you got it at a really great price and you just, yeah. you know, you're still making money on it and stuff like that. You can put in an option and you can just say, Hey, yes. look, if it gets down, if it gets to this price, I'm willing to sell it. And someone's like, oh, I'll buy it at yeah. that price. And so they put a little bit of money on it and saying, hey, if it gets to this price, I'll buy it. Or if it goes down, I'm willing to like sell it. If it drops down 10% or something, I'm okay with selling sure. it. And then you put those stocks to somebody. And so like, and someone says, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of money and, and hopefully I can do that. But you don't have to take those contracts. <laughs> I mean, it depends. You can always sell off your option to somebody else and stuff. And so- yes. And so, so that's back things. to the risk of not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. So don't do options if you don't know what you're doing. But Definitely. do options, absolutely, if you know what you're doing. All right? Because they are insurance and that, yeah. you know. And if you're like, hey, that's the price I wanted to buy yeah. those, those stocks at, yeah. then that's and, and, great. In the trading world, 
All right. Uh, just look at this. If you come to one of our three-hour classes, we're going to show you the sets method mm-hmm. and coupled with the five-to-one uh, reward-to-risk ratio. We call it a strategy. Yep. Okay. If you were to use the sets method, set stands for stop, entry, target, target. and size. All right. And if you were to fill that out and you know, and you're controlling your losses to mm-hmm. be just 20% of your expected gains. Yeah. You can be wrong 80% of the time and still be profitable. All right. As long as you're Isn't keeping like, your cool. risk always the same, you know, and, and you're doing it the professional way as in, mm-hmm. as in this is how much I'm risking and I'm, it's never more than that. Yeah. All right. You can be 80% of the, the time wrong and still be profitable. Now that's a terrible percentage and nobody ever shoots for being 80% wrong. They want to be 80% right. Okay. But the point is, is that even in a really terrible market or if you're just having a really bad, bad week, week, okay, you can still be profitable when everything is going against you. Yeah. If only 20% goes right. Yeah. <clears throat> and, right. and we've had like student, I, there is one student support here who is, who's really great. And he's like, look, if you can't find a good trade on a stock, don't stick with that stock. There's like so many stocks in the market that you can just go choose another one that's doing something good. I assure you, there is something right. going on in the stock market. It's very rare for <laughs> everything to go down. And you can still do the inverse of the S&P. If everything is going down, we'll get into the inverse of the S&P. That's exactly right. Okay, so the, to wrap it all up, okay, you either are going to pay somebody to do it for you or you're going to do it yourself. If you mm-hmm. pay somebody to do it for you, you have an excellent chance of underperforming the market. Yeah. If you're going to do it yourself, you actually have to know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't know how to control your risk, it, you know, if, if you're Because one of those, those market people, makers would love to take your money. Yeah. So. so if you don't know what you're doing, then according to Warren Buffett, you're taking all of the risk. Yep. All right. If you don't know how to control things, mm-hmm. then you're taking all of all the, the risk. risk. And if you want to know how to control things, and if you want to know what you're doing, then we have free classes for that. So come in, uh, you know, come in and take one of those free classes. It's three hours. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to introduce you to the risk management. We're going to introduce you to how to find the zones mm-hmm. and uh, why they work the way they work, how to look at wealth, how to look at trading. All right. And it's free. So just go to our website, www.tradingacademy.com. It's www.tradingacademy.com. No, www. Yes, .tradingacademy.com. Are you Three tired? times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and register for one of our classes. We've got them online and we've got them in person. All hey, right? Why don't you say that again? www.tradingacademy.com. So all right. Put in your zip code. It'll come up with <laughs> the class classes. near you. That's, the class that's is right. near you. So hope you can join us and we'll see you there and see you next week. Please follow us and uh, listen to our podcast every week. We're trying to do the best we can to teach everybody how to be well how to trade and invest well and um and that's our mission in life so if that's what you want to do follow us on our podcast and come to our classes